Well, good morning. Good to see everyone and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak in this uh, Advent series. The uh, coordination of King Charles III of England took place on Saturday, May 6, 2023 at the Westminster Abbey in London. It is estimated that 272 million people viewed that coronation live, either in person, on television, or live stream, you know, via the web at some point. Many more would pick up a synopsis of that coronation in their evening or morning news all around the world. And I bet you've already figured out where I'm going with this. The coronation of King Jesus had just a few fewer people in attendance. Well, we, <clears throat> our text is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And uh, this is the account uh, when the angel, angel Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel comes to Mary and makes the announcement that you are going to have a child. And uh, Brother Andy read that text just a few minutes ago, so we won't read the entire text again, but uh, there are some key verses in here that um, give us some proofs that Jesus is a better king than even King David. So let's read again Luke 1, and we'll start this time at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. At the, um, at the heart of the Old Testament is this expectation that God will send a unique king associated with the Davidic dynasty, and this king will bring blessing to the nation and, in addition, will sacrifice his life to atone for the sins of mankind. So let's look at the background to this particular passage and, and how we get here. Now, when I took a homiletics in, in uh, Bible college, homiletics in seminary, and um, they would try to teach you how to preach. But in there, they talked about your introduction and background, which is always necessary if you're going to understand the, um, the passage. And one professor described the introduction and the background as a porch to the house, okay? So the introduction, you get on the porch, and then you go into the house. Well, this background, this introduction here is a 
really big porch, okay? The house is not as big as the porch. But I think that uh, we need to understand uh, the background where we're at. So the announcement here is that God would give this newborn baby the throne of his father, David. David is revered as one of the greatest kings in Israel. Even today, amongst Jews and Christians, David's name is known as uh, is known and remembered as all the accomplishments he did in the name of God. Well, consider some of the accomplishments about David. Some of the important details in his life. He was from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem. He was a grandson to Ruth and Boaz, as we heard from Ed last week. Was God's anointed. Samuel said in 1 Samuel 10.1 that the Lord anointed you to rule over his inheritance. David united the nation of Israel into one kingdom. He established Jerusalem as the capital. He consolidated worship in Jerusalem and destroyed the high places. It's David that wrote almost half of the Psalms that we have uh, in our Bible preserved for us. He ruled over Israel during a time that is described as the golden era of Israel. And it is with David that God established a covenant that is still held in high regard today, some 3,000 years later. Well, what is that covenant? Now, of course, you know that God has uh, made various covenants in the Old Testament. There was the Noahic covenant, where God promised never to destroy the earth again. The Abrahamic covenant, where God promised to Abraham that he would make him a great nation, that all of the families of the earth would be blessed. There was the Mosaic covenant, where God gave uh, Israel the various laws in which they're to govern themselves. But we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, the promise that God gave to David. And to be able to understand Luke chapter 1, it's important that we understand the Davidic covenant and what God promised to David there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you have your scriptures, you may want to turn there. Or, of course, watch on the screen. In 2 Samuel 7, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, that's David, from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. 
Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel." And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vision Nathan spake to David. So this is called the Davidic covenant. In here are a number of promises. There are promises that are made directly to David. I will make your name great. There are promises that relate to Solomon. Your son will, uh, will build my house, will build the temple. But as he goes on here, we begin to see that God had something far greater and uh, much more extended than uh, the promises that he was making to David. And that promise, of course, the, the primary promises is that your kingdom will endure forever, and your, your throne will be established forever. Those are amazing promises. Well, how did it go? Well, of course, following uh, David was Solomon, and they, he had a, an amazing reign. And Yes, God did use him to build the temple. But following Solomon, there was a civil war and a split within the nation. 
Ten of the tribes uh, split off into the northern kingdom, and two uh, remained in the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. But unfortunately, it did not go well. Kings were corrupt. In the northern tribe, all of them were corrupt. There wasn't a single one that followed God. In Judah, there were those who had a heart for God and would follow the Lord and others that were corrupt. God had promised that your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. But yet in 822 B.C., the Assyrians came in, took captive all of the northern tribes and hauled them away into captivity, and the line of kings in the northern kingdom ended. In 586, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came in and took captive the uh, Judah, and the, the line of kings there ended with him as they took f- folks into captivity into Babylon. So God promised in the Davidic kingdom that in in the Davidic uh, covenant is that your kingdom will endure forever, your throne will be established. But yet here we are, 400 years later, where are they? They're no longer around. But the prophets... They anticipated a radically different and a better king. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so there there were prophets who understood that despite the fact that there were no kings in either the northern tribe or in Judah, God was still keeping his promise to David. In fact, Micah wrote, But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come forth for me one who is to be ruler of ruler in Israel. So the people were disappointed that the line of kings ended, but you know what? They kept track. They knew who descended from who. First century historian Josephus talks about the careful records that were maintained in the temple. In fact, we see the lineage outlined in Scripture. Luke chapter 3, the lineage of Mary. Matthew 1, the lineage of Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. They kept looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. 
But of course, there was some confusion. As they read the prophets, they would see that uh, an advent in which this ruler would come as the king who would rule the world and uh, all the nations would be subservient to him. Yet there were then passages where this advent would be from a humble servant who would give his life. There were those who thought for sure that the coming king would kick out the Romans, set up a political kingdom, and would restore Israel to the glory years. But they held his faith. They anticipated it. And so we now have this announcement to Mary. The announcement that God will give him, this newborn child, the throne of his father David. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Christ is a better king than David. Now, I come up with four proofs that Christ is a better king than David. But I limited myself to this passage. I think if we said, um, what are proofs that Christ is a better king than David, we could, I'm sure, brainstorm a hundred or more ideas throughout Scripture. But I limited myself to this text. And there are four, four clear proofs from this text that um, Jesus is a better king than David. Okay? So now we've uh, got through the porch and about to go into the front door. Okay? Four proofs that uh, Jesus is a better king than David. Proof number one is that Jesus is a supernatural king. Jesus is a supernatural king. Gabriel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary says to the angel, How would this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You see, the story of the birth of Christ is filled with divine interventions. And amazing miracles. But the most, one of the key miracles is this virgin birth because it is a, it is a fundamental aspect of our faith as Christians. It is a miraculous event that points to the divinity of Christ and his purpose for coming to earth. According to this passage here, the angel Gabriel told her that she would conceive and bear a son even though she was a virgin. The virgin birth was necessary for Jesus to be both fully human and fully divine. 
Without this supernatural conception, Jesus would have been just like any other man. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah looks forward to this and says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and that is that sign is a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, when studying for this, I came across a number of interesting quotes. Kevin DeYoung is a pastor in North Carolina, seminary professor and a member of the Council for the Gospel Coalition. And he gives the following reasons why uh, the supernatural virgin birth is important. He says, number one, the gospel writers clearly believe that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. And obviously recorded for us. Number two, the virgin birth demonstrates that Jesus is truly human and truly divine. And number three, the virgin birth is essential because it means Jesus did not inherit the curse of depravity that clings to the, uh, Adam's race. Virgin birth is essential. Wayne Grudem, the New Testament scholar, and served as the general editor of the ESV Study Bible, He said, God in his wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that his full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human mother and his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus descends physically from King David and derives his right to sit on the throne of David through his mother. David is a better king, but it was a supernatural birth as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Now, David did some amazing things, but David was just a man was not a supernatural king. So proof number one is Jesus is a supernatural king. Proof number two from our text, and that is that Jesus is a holy king. The angel said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. One of the most striking um, aspects of Jesus' life is his uh, sinless nature. Unlike any other human being who walked this earth, Jesus was without sin. The author of Hebrews reminds us that. That Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. That sets him apart from everyone else. That sets him apart from David. David had a sin nature. David was a sinner. David recognized he was a sinner. 
Psalm chapter 51, he writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. David had a deep love for God. In fact, he was called a man after God's own heart. But he was still a sinful man. Christ was a better king because he was holy, sinless. So we see that Jesus is a supernatural king. Proof number two is that Jesus is a holy king. But from our text here in Luke chapter 1, we see a third proof. And that is that Jesus is an eternal king. Jesus is an eternal king. Gabriel says to Mary, And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. King David ruled in Israel for 40 years, which is really just a drop in the bucket in history. Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, holding an eternal kingship that surpasses any other ruler for eternity. Psalm 45 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Always enjoyable at this time of year is George Frederick Handel's Messiah. There is the the, uh, Hallelujah Chorus. And that Hallelujah Chorus takes three passages from the book of Revelation and emphasizes this this, this point. He says, For the Lord omnipotent reigneth, hallelujah, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. He is an eternal king. Unlike David, whose reign was limited by time and mortality, Jesus' kingdom knows no end. His authority and sovereignty extend beyond this world into eternity. He is a better king than David. Proof proof number four. From this text, from this passage, and that is that Jesus is a redeeming king. Jesus is a redeeming king. Again, Gabriel speaking to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, the uh, angel announced to Joseph, very similar, you shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sin. 
So the throne of David ended in 586 BC with Zedekiah, the last of the uh, kings of Judah. But the line of David continues through Jesus Christ as he came into the world. We see that Christ is the fulfillment of the long-awaited promise of a Redeemer. The prophet Isaiah foresaw and, and promised a virgin would conceive. This virgin would bring an individual, God, with us. The miraculous birth was God's ultimate plan to redeem humanity from sin. And while <clears throat> much of the prophecies look to the second advent, as we now understand, a lot of them would see Christ coming and ruling this earth with a rod of iron and, and all the nations submit to him. They anticipated that first, but we, those who are astute would see there are other prophecies that uh, may mean different, such as Isaiah 53. Whereas Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We have esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Jewish expectation <clears throat> is that the Messiah would come as a conquering king. In fact, they were shocked when Jesus was crucified. Dismayed that the Davidic promise was not now going to be fulfilled, that, that the promised child who grew into an adult now is, has been crucified, they failed to understand that in the first advent, he's coming as a redeeming king. <clears throat> there will come a second advent when he'll come as the true king. But in order for us to have a right relationship with God, to be redeemed, we needed to have the first advent. We needed to have this uh, <clears throat> king that would come and sacrifice his life, pay the penalty for our sin so that we can have that right relationship with God. David couldn't do that. Christ could. Jesus is a redeeming king. And so those are the four proofs from this text. Now, if we wanted to jump out of this text, we, I'm sure, could come up with a long list. But from this text, that's what I saw. And you may even be able to pick out a few more. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list of proofs from this particular text. But those are four that I saw. Now, based on the fact that Christ is king a better king than David, what are the implications for our Christmas, our 2023 Christmas? I think that there are some implications that we can rest on. Implication number one, 
So if you're taking notes, we went with four proofs. Now we're going to look at four implications. Implications for us today, and that is this. We need to be confident that this king is in control. We live in a world that seems to be out of control, but we can have great confidence that there is a king on the throne. And sometimes what happens is we watch the news and we see what's going on and we get troubled, but we need to rest in the fact that God still is in control. God has a plan and he's in control. Implication number two, we need to surrender to that control. We need to allow God to work in our lives like God worked in the life of Mary. God worked in the life of David. God works in all of our lives. Now, God works in, um, through two means, miracles, providence, providentially. Okay? What's a miracle? Well, miracle is where God suspends the normal laws of nature to accomplish his purpose. And certainly today we saw one miracle. God suspended the normal laws of procreation, and there Mary uh, uh, became pregnant without, the, uh, without a man. Now, that's a miracle. Providence is when God works through the normal details of everyday life. The providence comes from two words, pro-video. Okay? So God is able to see what's going to happen, but it's more than just God knows what's going to happen. God orchestrates what's going to happen. Somebody has a project at work, and it finally comes together at the very end, and they say, well, it's a miracle. Well, it was probably not a miracle. I'm not sure God maybe suspended the normal laws of nature to accomplish that. But God may have providentially worked to make that happen. And what we need to do is we need to understand that God is providentially working in our lives and we need to surrender to that control. You know, we sing the song, All to Jesus I will um, surrender, all to Him I freely give, I will ever love and, what's the next word? trust, because that's what surrender is. When we say, okay, Lord, I don't understand. I know you promised to take care of me. I know your promises. But I see the northern tribe kings gone. I see the southern king gone. I see no kings in Israel. I see Jerusalem in shambles. The uh, temple destroyed, but I am going to trust you. And that's what they did. And that's what we need to do. Surrender to his control. Number three, implication number three. Understand that his plan is still unfolding. Understand that his plan is still unfolding. We see, we have the ability now to back up and look at what happened. God makes this covenantal promise with David. I will establish your kingdom forever. But it didn't last forever. 
Now, we have uh, the ability to see down through the hundreds of years of history to see where God is still working. But you know, God's still working uniquely as he unfolds, unfolds his plan for us individually, his plan corporately as a church body, his plan for the cause of Christ around the world, his plan for Christ being the king of kings. That plan is still unfolding. And then the fourthly, the final implication for our 2023 Christmas, and that is live by faith anticipating the future kingdom. Live by faith anticipating the future kingdom. Again, David's covenant takes place around 1000 B.C. 200 years later, 822 B.C., northern kings, uh, northern tribes are carried into captivity. The line of kings ends there. 586, 587, depends on how you look at it. The, the southern kingdom is captured and taken into captivity, and the line of kings ends there. 600 years later, I mean, if we go from today, go back, that's about the time Columbus discovered America. That's a long time. And yet there are those who, through the eyes of faith, understood that God's promise was still valid, that God is still working, that God is in control, that God's plan is still unfolding. Their responsibility is to live by faith. And you know what? That's our responsibility too. We are to live by faith. This is a life of faith. Knowing what God has promised, we move forward day by day, believing his promises, living by faith. In the Old Testament, oftentimes, a prophet would write about the first advent, Christ coming as a humble servant. Other prophets would, would refer to the second advent. Now, they didn't understand fully how these two advents, you know, meshed. Even the disciples thought that the... Christ is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. They didn't understand that there was a, a, a two distinct advents. Well, Isaac Watts wrote the poem that became a well-beloved Christmas carol, Joy to the World. We sang that this morning. He intended the words of that poem to refer to the second advent. It was a, a Boston music teacher named Lowell Mason who discovered the poem and set it to music and released it at Christmas time. And maybe that was why it became such an amazing Christmas carol. But as you read the, as you read the words, you could see where you could say, well, yeah, maybe that's the first advent, Christ at Christmas. That's the second advent. 
Think about it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. I think it's a great song for First Advent. And certainly for those of us who walk by faith and anticipate that Christ will again come again, this time to rule and reign with a rod of iron and to fulfill the promise given to David that this kingship will uh, be eternal, will last forever. That's a truth we can hold on even in this Christmas season. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. I trust you have a great Christmas Advent season and realize that Jesus is a better king than even David. Obviously, Gabriel the angel announced that truth to Mary. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of a better king. A king that is even better than David. Lord, I pray that we will, this Christmas, be confident that this king is in control. That that confidence will give us peace. That we will be willing to surrender to his control. Realizing that his plan is still unfolding and be willing to live by faith, anticipating the future kingdom. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.